Good evening, LCM. Today is April 6th, 2023. And before we move forward in our word, let's take a moment to honor our king in prayer. Can you lift your hands with us this evening? King of kings, Jesus, we look to you tonight. Lord, we remember the sacrifice that you paid. Lord, we remember the sufferings tonight. Lord, that redeemed our lives from death. Lord, we thank you for the willingness to save people like us. Lord, the sacrifices you made for your people, Israel. Lord, we glorify you yes. tonight. Yes, Lord. We say you are holy, 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 and there is no one like you. Lord, we thank you that we get to meet in this place to worship you, that we get to meet in this place tonight to engage your word and let your Holy Spirit reveal your will to us. Lord, make us like you. Lord, we want to be like you. Lord, even as we engage your word, we cry out for transformation. We say, make us like you, mighty one. May your will be done in this room tonight. In your name, amen. So we are in the midst of a special week in the history of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As well as in the history of his church. His body that is continually present on the earth who is to this day working with all of their heart to reflect him with an ever-increasing and greater glory. You guys remember Sunday's word, right? Yes. Yeah, oh yeah, you do. Hosanna! Yeah, why don't we say it? Hosanna! Sunday was the day commemorating Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem before he would be crucified. We actually spoke in detail about the triumphant pattern in Jesus' own life that was based on the pattern that can be seen also in Israel's history. We're going to begin this message together reviewing that pattern and also renewing our commitment to each one of the four steps that we saw. Guys, turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 8 right now together with us. We're going to engage with the word of God, which you know good and well is our truth and is our very life. In the eternal word of God, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3 says, And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know. That man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. From this passage, we see four things that the Lord leads us through in order to develop us. The first one is humility. And the second one is hunger. Third, being fed. And the fourth and final, he makes you known. Our desire for other things, it causes us to skip steps in this process. A process that is there so we do not find ourselves dwelling on the trials that we're going through, but rather we can dwell on the triumph that we know belongs to us as the body of Christ. Am I the only one in this room that when I'm going through a trial, I dwell on the trial instead of the triumph that is to come after yeah. the trial? Right. Yeah. No, I know I'm not the only one. Guys, we need to learn and understand. We need to grow in this concept. But right alongside of that revelation, there's a problem. There's a problem that we've been engaging with this entire week thus far. Yeah, that problem, it's our own desire for other things. That's the problem. That actually causes us to skip steps in this triumphal process. We're going to begin this message by engaging with you on a very personal level tonight. Yeah. Is that okay with you? Yes. Well, it doesn't matter if it's okay with you or not. That's who we are and that's what we do. Yeah. 
We're going to start with step one in this process. Step one is humility. Now, if you are anything like me, and I know that you are, the flesh that is ever present with you hates weaknesses. I mean, it despises the weakness that it sees. But really, as I'm dwelling on this, as I'm contemplating it, I'm asking the question, but yeah, I know this, but why does my flesh hate it so much? You see, on an even deeper level, I hate weakness because I want to be seen as a man who has it all together when it comes to my walk with the Lord. That's right. I want to be seen by you as a man who preaches well, teaches well, walks with the Lord well, is intimate with him, all of those things that you can think of. Revelation from the word. Guys, the truth is, I am that man. I am that man who presents what I think is presentable to God. I am that man who presents only what I think is good. Only what I think could be seen as reaching perfection. Only what I think can be seen by others as, man, that dude's doing something great. You know what I don't present? I do not like to present to you or even to the Lord that which I think is not presentable. Yeah, I've got a huge chasm, divide inside of my heart. But you guys know this. Weakness leads, weakness is how you actually begin this whole process of triumph. It's the first step. Weakness is supposed to push you toward the humility that is necessary to even start. It's the weakness that leads you away from your own pride. Your own self-dependency, right? Leads you right into the humility that is necessary to begin. Weakness is what you need. And you're going to have to repeat something after me right now. I need weakness. I need weakness. Let's do it again. I need weakness. I need weakness. There's power in that revelation. You need to be brought low. You need to be emptied of your own strength. You need to be stripped of your own self-inflation. And the pride that so quickly causes you to defend yourself and try to skirt around that process. You know, the Older Testament law, prophets, and writings are replete with the phrase, the Lord is our strength, or the Lord is my strength. You can see that in Exodus 15. You can see that in Isaiah 12, Habakkuk 3, Psalm 28, 118, just to name a few. So why is it? That I so often try to skirt the process and find my strength in other areas other than in my God. He's my strength after all. I'm at his mercy for his provision of strength and support in my life. And my denial of this fact shows up in my actions way more than I would like to admit to you tonight. You guys ready for step two? Peyton's going to help us with hunger. So if you're anything like me, you're not fond of being hungry. Is anyone the same as me tonight? I do not like being hungry. But you guys know what Proverbs 16.26 says. The laborer's appetite works for him. And his hunger drives him along. Church, when our hunger is directed towards the word and will of Adonai, then we find ourselves satiated with the richest of foods from our Father. It is only the pursuit of his word and will that will satisfy that hunger that you have. We must come to the realization that our Lord will cause us to hunger. He's the one who causes that hunger so that we begin to desire his word and his glory above all other things. It's so easy for me to get hung up on my hunger. To get hung up on my hunger pangs because of my own propensity to want to curb my own appetite with carnal cravings. And to do that with cheap, processed foods that you can pick up on any street corner at your convenience. Man. But he causes us to hunger. For example, for those cheap, fast food 
type cravings that uh, you're trying to satiate. When I'm hungry for revelation from the word, do I reach for an old OneNote page? Or do I reach for someone else's OneNote page? Do I dig back in the archives and just find an old sermon so I can parrot it back to my situation? Or do I just settle for what I already know without pushing uh, any further forward? To take that further, when I am hungry for the word, do I simply just go to a brother, ask him what he thinks, so that I can go around my responsibility to seek it out for myself and work it out with my father? The truth is, about my life, is I'm always tempted to do this. But there's something amazing that happens in this process. The Lord will always cause me to hunger. He causes me to hunger, so instead of going for something expedient, that hunger drives me along, and it drives me deeper into his word. It drives me deeper into his presence, where he fills my storehouses once again. Can I tell you that this is not a one-time process? But it's this repeating pattern of hunger being given to you by the Lord and him causing you to have to draw near to him to have your storehouses filled. And what I love about this process that the Father has done time and time, again, for all of us in this room, is he gives us what we need and arrives in the right portion at just the right time. Step three. You guys ready for it? Yeah. Step three is being fed. Actually being fed. I know in my mind, right here, I know in my heart, right here, that real food only comes from my Father in heaven. Now, if we were preaching that and we said, real food only comes from your Father in heaven, how many amens would we get? Every single one of you. I've preached on John 4. I've preached on John 6 just as much as the next man of God. And Jesus explicitly teaches that real food is not that which you put in your belly. And it's certainly not most of the things that I often run to in order to be comforted in my pride and my hunger for other things. Yeah, real food is knowing what God's will for you actually is and pursuing the completion of that will with every passing moment that he has granted you breath on the earth. This week, Isaiah 55 is just ringing in my ears as I'm going through the week. It's helped me when I've been tempted to snack on junk food that I know will only make me spiritually fat and out of shape. Isaiah 55 too. Why spend money on what is not bread? And your labor on what does not satisfy. Listen! Listen to me and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest affair. As the truth is, I have no idea what I need to actually satisfy the hunger that I have. No idea. But my good father knows exactly what I need, even before I ask him, is what the scripture says. Yeah, I need a humility and a hunger so that I can eat what is good that only he can provide. And I know at that point that my soul will then delight in the richest affair that comes straight from his hand. Come on. Now let's take our fourth one. The fourth and final step that is makes you know. This is the culmination of the previous three steps. And it is in this process that you gain the experiential knowledge that can only be gained by walking it out and working it out with your heavenly father. There's no other way to have him made known in your life than to go through this process. Life in the kingdom has this process on repeat. To obfuscate the humility, the hunger, and the willingness to be fed will not lead you to knowing him better which is the point of him bringing you through it. Amen. Listen to James chapter 1, picking up in verse 4. It says, Perseverance must finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking 
anything because he has made himself known to you. Our good father takes us through these four steps so that we are developed and brought to maturity. Is anyone striving with all of their heart to attain maturity? Come on. When we do this, the scripture says we will not lack anything. So you guys have gone through this. This week, you guys have been going through this. You guys are becoming increasingly familiar with these four steps to triumph, especially in the last four days. After all, you guys already know that these are the exact steps that Moses himself took. These are the exact steps that the whole nation of Israel took to maturity. These are the steps that Jesus, the Son of God, took while he was walking on the earth. And these are the steps that the 12 Jewish apostles took together with the first century church that caused them to grow and prosper just as God intended them to. But we also know that old habits die hard. Yeah. Can you guys say that after me, old habits die hard? Old habits die hard. Old habits die hard. In fact, that's the title of our message tonight. We're all convicted about the reality that we do not yet consistently walk through this pattern very well at all. You guys convicted about that? I know that we are. That is also the reason that the God of all grace, who called you and called us to his eternal glory in Christ, is allowing you to struggle in these revelations. So that he can in turn make you strong, make you firm, make you steadfast through the process. Not obfuscating it, not try to skirt around it, through the process. You guys remember, the culmination of this difficult tune-up for us is that we all live lives that have an experiential knowledge of who Yahweh is. That we actually get to know him better. And that we display for the rest of the world and to the heavens the close dependency that we have on our Father. And church, you know that we cannot skip steps in this process. But tonight, we want to solidify that revelation in your hearts. You know that in Christ, you have received blessing on blessing. Has anyone been blessed by the Lord? Now, when I asked that question, what came to mind? Did you immediately begin thinking about the wife that God brought to you or the husband that the Lord brought to your side? Or if that wasn't you, did you think about the child that you prayed for and fought for that you now enjoy every day? For many of us, the multiple children that you get to enjoy, blessings and blessings. Maybe you thought about the call that God put on your life, that he revealed to you through prayer and his word. A blessing to know what he called you and put you on the earth for. Maybe that's what came into your mind. Or you may have even thought about LCM, this body of believers. When I think of the greatest blessing in my life, I think of this church. What a blessing to be called out of some of the craziest, worldly, most worldly circumstances to be brought to a place like this. Man, my life is blessed. Or maybe you thought about the one association of churches and the great unity we have, not just in the domestic 50 United, uh, United States, but now even globally. And it's a blessing. But tonight, we want you to focus on a singular blessing. Say singular blessing. Singular blessing. A singular blessing that's been given to each one of you, every single one of you. And we are going to tell you what it is. And to do that, you're going to need to go to Hebrews chapter 12. As you're turning to Hebrews chapter 12, say old habits die hard. When you get to chapter 12, land on verse 10 and prepare to read it in a way that you probably haven't read it before. Yeah. Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good. What's that next line? That we may share in his holiness. That we may share in his holiness, church. We sang about it. Sang about it for a minute. Sang about it for nearly half an hour. You've received blessing upon blessing in him. It's true. 
But paramount among those blessings is the ability for you to share in the holiness of God. You know, discipline enables you to share in that holiness. We know that from this verse. We often teach this as correction. And we should. It's a good word. But you know that correction is not the end goal of this passage? We're going to help you. God disciplines us for our good, it says. Listen to me, church. God enables us, he empowers us to live disciplined lives for our good that we may share in his holiness. Church, a disciplined life where you are walking in humility. A disciplined life where you are hungry for the bread of heaven. A disciplined life where you are being fed directly from his throne. And a disciplined life where the product of that is that you are knowing him better and better with each passing day. You living a disciplined life allows for you to share in the ultimate blessing of God's holiness. Let's talk about Paul. Paul understood that a disciplined life, it allowed him to participate in the holiness of his God that he served. And he took his understanding to an even greater level with the seriousness with which he went about it. Let's turn to Philippians 3, verse 8. And say, old habits die hard as you're turning there. Let's pick up in verse 8. It says, what is more? I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Everything else in Paul's life was a loss compared to knowing Christ better and sharing in his holiness. Nothing compared to that blessing in his life that was granted to him by his king that said, if you follow me, I will allow you to share in my holiness. We know the word rubbish here. It is Greek 46, 57, Scuvalon, and we've defined it so many ways that are very colorful, and I'll let you remember that teaching. But tonight, we want you to consider another possible definition. Can we do that? Another possible definition of scuvalon is that which is thrown to the dogs. And here's another one. That which is cast down as worthless. This is certainly how we must treat the rubbish pursuits that we're finding in our own lives. But there's something even more beautiful here. Are you ready for it? Stay where you are. Don't turn here, but we're about to read Exodus twenty-two thirty-one. It's probably one of the foundations for this passage here. Exodus twenty-two thirty-one says, "You are to be a holy people." Yeah, that's how it starts. So, do not eat the meat of an animal torn by wild beasts. Throw it to the dogs, like you would for scubalon. Church, when you find scubalon. You are not only told not to eat of it, you are also told in the Tanakh to throw it to the dogs who are waiting under the table in order to eat it. The dogs are the ones that eat the scraps under the table. Those who are not worthy of the sacred, holy gifts that come from the hands of the Father. Church, tonight you know that you are not these dogs. Yeah. You are his holy people. You are called to share in the holiness of your father. You might know well that you are called to a seat at his table. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Being called to a seat at the table of the Holy One was not a one-time calling or a one-time event. You must choose. Choose repeatedly to throw that on away. To abandon the on that you've thrown under the table. And to take your seat at the table. Let's keep moving forward. And we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. As you're turning and finding verse 20. Say old habits die hard. Yeah. 
Old habits die hard. First Corinthians 10, picking up in verse 20, says, No, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. And you cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Church, you have been taken from outside of the assembly of the Lord, and you've been given a spot at his table. Come on. Church, we cannot emphasize it enough that you must, you must take your seat at the table. This is not a one-time event. It is a continual choice, something that you do every single day. Not one that you made when you first gave your great confession in the presence of many witnesses. We serve a God who has put his name on you. Everything that he is and everything that he represents, he has given to you. And he is also a jealous God who is jealous for you to take your rightful place at his table in the presence of his holiness. He wants you to be seated with him. Consider the price that he paid for you to have that seat. And what's more is he's calling us to take our seat to share in his holiness. You know, guys, you know I love you. As much as I would like to kind of lift this sermon up a little bit, as much as I would like to kind of make the nature of the room a little less heavy, I can feel that this is an important message from God. Are you guys tuned in? We're going to read the next verse in this passage, verse 23. Listen up. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Guys, you might not have realized this. But that phrase right there, everything is permissible, yeah, it's in quotation marks. Did you notice that before? It's quoted. That means that Paul is quoting something that was said by the Corinthian church, and he's addressing it. Yeah, everything is permissible is actually an excuse that the Corinthians were using to do what they wanted to do. And it's a quotation that all of us say as well. It's permissible. It's just not the best thing for me. I'm free in Christ, brother. I'm good to go, man. His freedom is stamped on me. I'm under the blood. Yes, but using your freedoms to sow into that which is not the Lord's table is not beneficial or constructive to you or to anyone else. You remember Galatians 5.13? You, my brothers, were called to be free. Amen to that. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. We want to be absolutely clear with you tonight. We are not commanding you not to do this or that. We would never lord our authority over you in that way. And to think so is just erroneous. A false claim that we would lord authority over you and command you to do exactly what we say. Because we believe that the spirit of holiness will make his will very clear to you. Yeah. But we are saying that you must work out your freedoms in Christ. You must work out your freedoms. You must know what his will is, and you can't do that by skirting around issues. You must go through the process to gain that deep conviction. Church, when you put your sinful desires first, saying everything's permissible, that allows my sinful desires to go first, that puts you in the position of the dogs. Where are the dogs? They are under the table that you're supposed to be seated at, just waiting for the scraps to fall off the table. That is not who you're called to be. That is not what Christ sacrificed himself for, for you to be feeding yourself on scraps. And you know better because you've read the word of God. 
But when you put your sinful desires first, this is what it produces. You find yourself just close enough to the Lord's table, and so you feel better about yourself. Holiness by proximity, not quite. When you are just close enough, but not actually seated in your God-ordained spot, man, your flesh loves that. It loves the place among scraps. It's its main diet. It's what it craves. But you, church, you, saints of the living God, you have been given a seat at that table with him. But you've often traded it for the scubalon that doesn't belong at the table with you. So you guys are following us in this linear pattern tonight. You guys are now able to see the process that the Lord brings us through. You're able to see the holiness that is produced through the process. And you're able to see the seat at the table that he has prepared for those who have made the choice to follow him. We're calling you out tonight to take your seats at the table. You are not the dogs that are destined for the scraps of carnal cravings. You are the sons of God who the king of kings has brought to the table in order for you to be like him in every way, both in life and in death. Guys, we all know that this past Sunday was Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Knowing that fact, we also know that you have put the pieces together. Yes, you have. You guys understand that yesterday was the day of the Jewish year that Jesus was crucified, don't you? Yeah, yeah that was yesterday. So as we move toward the great victory of the cross, as we move toward the crucifixion of our own carnal desires, guys, we want you to see that we are walking you through the week that Jesus had leading up to the cross. We want you to see how this process applies to you here and now. Because even our king went through the same process. Jesus first triumphantly entered into Jerusalem and cleansed his temple. And you too had your own unholy desires revealed by the son of David. And you cried out, Hosanna, save me. You have done that this week. You've cried out to him to save you. And the Lord is saving you. And he will continue to save you as long as you continue to pursue him. Amen. As long as you continue in this process. Then after the triumphal entry, a space was reserved and a table was set for Jesus and his brothers to enjoy one last supper together. You too had a seat prepared for you at the table of Jesus. And you're learning that it is a daily choice. Say daily choice. Daily choice. To take that seat together with him. You will experience his goodness and his revelation more and more as you leave the scraps alone and you eat the food that he's prepared for you. And then after the last supper, at the table with his disciples, Jesus went to the garden of Gethsemane to pray. It was there in the garden that the king of glory cried out to the father and showed us what true dependency looks like. Jesus put to death any desire for another cup to drink from. He let that desire die with the faith-filled words of not my will, but your will. You remember the garden prayer, right? Let's move to Matthew 26 as we approach the crucifixion of our king. As we read, let yourself feel the anguish of our king and the difficulty he endured for us to have that seat at the table with him. Matthew 26, we're going to start in verse 36 together. Come on, old habits die hard. Ooh, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, 
He fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, yet not as I will, but as you will. You realize that Jesus' statement here at the end of our passage is not just words. That statement, not as I will, but as you will, Father, would prove itself in the actions of the Messiah as he was led to the cross to bear the penalty, the penalty of our sins, the penalty for the sins that we did, the penalty for our sins today. You see, the cross in Jesus' life proved his willingness to take the penalty for our own sins. We're going to read an excerpt from Spurgeon to you now. Because we, we want to contemplate Gethsemane a little bit deeper together. Yeah. Hear this quote from Charles Spurgeon. Few had fellowship with the sorrows of Gethsemane. To twelve, nay, to eleven, only was the privilege given to enter Gethsemane and see this great sight. Peter and the two sons of Zebedee repre represent the few eminent experienced saints who may be written down as fathers. These, having done business on great waters, can in some degree measure the huge Atlantic waves of the Redeemer's passion. To some selected spirits it is given for the good of others and to strengthen them for future special and tremendous conflict. To enter the inner circle and hear the pleadings of the suffering high priest they have fellowship with him in his sufferings and are made conformable unto his death. There was an inner chamber in our master's grief. Shut out from human knowledge and fellowship. Here, Jesus, more than ever, an unspeakable gift. Man. Church, if you would only fully realize the gift of the cross that you've been given. But it's just not his cross. It's your cross as well. Yes, it was his cross, but it is also your cross as well. Can you believe the level of weight and pressure that was resting on Jesus' shoulders at this point as he's praying in the garden? Doesn't it feel like he came to a spot in his walk that was just too much for him to bear? That's what all of us think and feel when we read this, that it was just too much. But you need to remember and you need to know. This moment was not pulled in a vacuum. As hard as the situation was for our king, Jesus was prepared for that moment. Chief among that preparation was the weakness that he knew that he had that caused him to be in the garden crying out to his father in the first place. You know, Jesus could have been doing dozens of other things besides yeah. Gethsemane that night. He could have been having one last good time with his friends before he was locked up, you know. He could have eaten one more meal in preparation for his arrest and crucifixion. He even could have walked around Jerusalem just to see it one more time, but he didn't do any of those things, did he? No, to some very selected souls. Privileges like this have been given. And tonight we want to say clearly that you are among those preciously selected souls. Selected by the Lord. Handpicked by him for this walk of salvation. And we know that because each one of you have been given a seat at his table. So what more about us? What more about you? You might often put yourselves in the shoes of the disciples in this story. Right there in the garden next to Jesus. Rightly so. It's a good teaching. How often do you put yourself in the shoes of our brother Jesus? We want you to think about that for a moment tonight because you're going to be walking in his footsteps and along the same path that he walked. We don't say that to intimidate you. We don't even necessarily say that to stress you out tonight. 
We say that so that you can be thankful for the conviction and thankful the empowerment that is the hope of what is coming to you today. You're given the privilege of walking in this pathway of Jesus because you have been called to the great level on which you walked. This pathway is present in order to strengthen you for those future special and tremendous conflicts to be seated and remain in his inner circle. Guys, you know you have fellowship with him in his sufferings so that you can made, be made conformable unto his death. Yeah. Jesus' whole way of life is evidenced by the week that he is having. A week that started with this triumphal entry. Jesus showed his brothers humility and how he rode in Jerusalem, making it a triumph. And as we work through this, remember the four steps of humility, hunger, being fed, and making him known. Jesus showed his brothers humility in how he rode into Jerusalem, making it what? A triumph. Jesus showed his brothers hunger in the way he set a table for them, and he invited them to join him at that table. Jesus showed his brothers what it means to be truly fed in the Garden of Gethsemane as he wrestled with the will of God, and then he set his face like flint to do it. Jesus made his father known to his brothers by the cross that he bore, and he gave up his life for the sake of every single one of them. Simply put, Jesus was ready for his next cross. Church, what we call the cross was not his first cross. In fact, it was just one of many daily crosses that he had chosen to take up each day that he lived here among us. Every daily cross that preceded the cross prepared him for the triumph that we are celebrating tonight. Turn with us to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to land on verse 18 and discuss a revelation that Peter had about this occurrence. Peter says, for Christ died for sins once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous. That's strangely comforting, isn't it? To bring you to God. That's why he did it. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. Peter really just says it right out there plainly here. The crucifixion of Christ gives you the opportunity to be brought near to God. Actually gives you the opportunity and the strength to be seated at his table and to be near to him. It is so moving and inspiring to consider the price that he paid for us to even be able to have a seat at his table. You know, this is exactly what Revelation 1 tells us. It says that he loves us. He has set us free from our sins at the cost of his own blood. And he has appointed us as a kingdom, as priests serving his God and Father. Abimbola actually gave us that as our introduction tonight from a different place in the word. So why in the world are we discussing this vacillation between sitting at the table and gathering these scraps from the floor? Guys, it's because his example and the blood that he shed for us was certainly enough. It was certainly enough to bring you real freedom in your life. We say tonight... The problem is with the carnal flesh, but Christ has set you free, so we say, be free tonight. Church, it's time to let your own lack of confidence be crucified tonight. You are going to be free from that lack. Church, tonight it's time to let the guilt of the past be crucified tonight. You are free from that tonight by the blood of Christ. Hear me on this one. Tonight, you are free from the fear of future failure. That's going to be crucified tonight as well. We are going to forsake our appetite for scraps, and we are going to take our seat at his table in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, let's look at our final passage tonight. You will find it in Luke chapter 9, 
picking up in verse 23. And as you're turning there, say, old habits die hard. Old habits die hard. And to add to it, say, old habits die tonight. Old habits die tonight. So we are in Luke 9, and we are going to pick up in verse 23. Then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily. Someone say daily. Daily. And follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? Church, the call to follow Christ and take your seat at the table with him, it looks like displaying the willingness to deny your appetite. And that appetite, that is for the scraps of carnal desires. And when you've crucified those, you take up your cross every single day that your feet hit the floor. Jesus set that example for us. And I hope tonight you were reminded of that example. Were you reminded of our king's example? An example of what true willingness looks like. What it looked like and what we've been given that freedom that we have in him and that freedom to imitate him, to become like him. And yet, we have this great freedom, but we fall short. Why do we fall short? You have to ask yourself, what's the problem with your willingness? I am willing, but it seems to fall short. What's the problem with my willingness? You have a willingness problem. Because you have a sin problem. That's the real issue. All the willingness in the world, yet you still give in to that carnal desire that craves the scraps. The only cure for that sin problem is to have it crucified and nailed to the cross. So we appeal to you tonight that Christ... Endured the cross. That he took the penalty of our sins so that you could have a seat at his table. So that you could sit with him. He was crucified for our sake and purchased our lives. He purchased your life from death. And he did that at the cost of his own blood so that you would be free. And so that you could sit with him at that table. We've seen that you have made some great steps towards holiness. Especially this week. Because our father is leading us through the process that leads to us knowing him better. But tonight let your wayward heart and the cravings for the scraps of sinful desires stay nailed to the cross. Those carnal desires stay there tonight. Consider what we did on Sunday. You cannot cry out, Hosanna, and be saved from your unholy desires on Sunday, then spend Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday climbing up the cross to peel the scraps back off of it. Those scraps that you gave up so freely. And you, were, you experienced that freedom, but yet something in you desires those scraps. Once it is crucified, it is dead to you forever. Church, our call to you is to take up your cross tonight and to take your seat at the table. Oh, church, stand up with us. Church, our thankfulness to our King is rising, that he gives us messages and instruction and disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. Church, tonight as we close this message, we want you to put yourself in the position of Jesus in the garden. Everybody get that in your your mind right now. We want you to consider the triumph that he had as he submitted his will and desires to that of his father. That was one of his greatest triumphs, church. As you think about that, 
I got a question for you. What thoughts are you having in this moment that you're thinking about Jesus, being Jesus in the garden? What thoughts are you having that you're using as your own excuses for not being able to bear the weight of the cross like he did? Ah, whatever that thought was, whatever that excuse was, grab a hold of it and meditate on it for a second. It's time tonight that we use our freedom in Christ to its fullest measure. We're going to crucify whatever is keeping us from this unspeakable gift that comes down from our Father. Those excuses are not just about the cross that you will be bearing sometime in the future. No, those excuses affect the cross that you are bearing today. That's why we're going to get them right in God's house. You need to know that the blood of Christ that he shed has enabled you to be free from those carnal excuses. His blood has enabled you and paved the way for you to be free from your carnal desires. So as we pray and as you respond tonight, Peyton's going to pray for us. As we do this, use your time in his presence to identify those specific excuses for not bearing your daily crosses and double down on the commitments that you made from Sunday and what you told him that you would do this week. It is time that you take your rightful seat at the table that belongs to you that is death provided for you. Pray with us. Holy one, we look to you tonight. Lord, we look to the cross. Lord, we meditate on the sacrifice. The price that you paid to redeem us that we might sit with you at the table. Lord, we cry tonight that you are holy, 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 and there is no one like you. Lord, we come before you in humility, asking that you would set us free from our own carnal desires. Lord, we give them up to you and we put them to death tonight that we might be free in you and that we might sit with you at your table. In the name of Jesus.